All right, amen. Another blessed song of faith. Philippians chapter 2, in the Word of God tonight, Philippians chapter 2. Good to see you on this Monday night. This is a wonderful Monday night crowd, and my heart is thrilled. And good to have my wife and son with me. You just heard uh, my wife, and my son is also here, and I'm glad that they could join us. And uh, she's looking forward to the time with the ladies tomorrow morning. Let me mention a few things on the table. Uh, Since uh, Mary Lynn is here, let me mention some of the recordings that we have. There are two vocal recordings and uh, two piano recordings. Uh, One of the vocal recordings, uh, this is Mary Lynn singing, vocal solo with full orchestration. And uh, the title song is Christ Lives in Me. It's actually a new melody that Mary Lynn put to those words that we just sang a moment ago. Uh, But tremendous words out of Galatians 2.20, really dealing with the spirit-filled life. There's a song called Only Only Thee, written by Fanny Crosby, about words that most of us have never seen before. My wife found them in an old hymnal and put a tune to it. And what a song that puts the focus right on Jesus. There's a song called Trust Him. We were over in England a couple of years back, or a number of years back, actually, and found a little tiny hymnal that was used in one of the great conferences back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, a conference that was dealing with the Spirit-filled life. And uh, these are words uh, dealing with faith, trust Him outstanding words, and just on and on it goes. These are songs that deal with revival truth, with spirit-filled life truth. A couple of the songs my wife and I have written, uh, where I've written the words, she's written the music. One's called Wind of the Spirit. That certainly fits in with the theme that we have this week. Uh, but uh, though uh, that's a vocal solo with full orchestration. Uh, then there's another uh, a solo uh, recording entitled The Presence of the Lord. Again, this is vocal solo, Mary Lynn is singing, but this is more of a meditative instrumentation, a piano and cello, piano and flute, and that kind of combination. And all of these are prayers. They're heart cries for revival, like breathe on me, breath of God. (laughs) Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Oh, for a closer walk with God. You ever have those yearnings? <laughs> and uh, so this is just uh, those yearnings in uh, uh, lyrics. Many of the songs you'll recognize. Uh, some of them uh, uh, perhaps may be new to you. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, so we have uh, those two vocal recordings. And then there's two piano recordings. One's entitled, I'd Rather Have Jesus. The other is, What a Savior, What a Friend. Uh, both of these would be songs that hopefully will be well-known songs so that you can think of the words since there's no vocal line and trustfully be blessed by the message as you hear the musical Condition. And uh, the uh, recording entitled, I'd Rather Have Jesus, is more of a meditative sound, uh, music that calms the heart so that you can hear from God, and then rejoices the heart so that God can hear from you. And uh, this one would be both meditative as well as celebrative, uh, but songs that uh, we trust would uh, uh, speak to the heart, like, great is thy faithfulness, Jesus paid it all, and uh, many other such songs. Well, good to see you on this Monday night. We are in a series on the Holy Spirit. Oh, what a theme. Uh, The Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Father. And uh, so yesterday morning in the Sunday school hour, we looked at uh, uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in uh, the life of a believer so that we are aglow with Jesus. And we began to peel back some layers, and we looked at the five commands that are given in our New Testament regarding the Holy Spirit, and uh, a matter of our honoring the Spirit by, uh, by faith obeying those commands. Then last night we honed in on Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. What an amazing passage. And in all that's been said thus far, I think your hearing come through over and over again. Obviously, when we depend on our flesh, we fail. We depend on the Spirit. He doesn't fail. But you know, in order to really exercise faith, you have to be convinced of the truth. Otherwise, it's just wishful thinking. 
And you know, in our humanity, we are just, um, forgive the term, arrogant enough to think that we can do this Christian life thing by, you know, going through the motions. And though we can hear things like, oh, yeah, we got to depend on God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. I heard that. I knew that. And yet still wasn't convinced down deep. And it's not until you really get convinced down deep that you really begin to walk by faith and thus walk in the Spirit. So I want us to look at a passage tonight in the New Testament that I believe more than any other passage in the entire Scripture. From my perspective, this passage teaches us the necessity of Spirit dependence more than any other passage. A very unique passage. And so let's look at it tonight. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to begin to read in verse 5. The scripture says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We have a command in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? We read in verse 8 that he humbled himself. Now, when we think of humbling ourselves, we think generally of confessing our sins. Do we not? But you know, Jesus did not have any sins to confess. And yet the text says that he humbled himself. As a man, he humbled himself. What is that? What was going on in his humanity that he humbled himself Because whatever that is, it's at the heart of this mind of Christ, which we are allowed to allow to be in us. I want to speak tonight on the Christ mind, the necessity of spirit dependence. Shall we pray? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher tonight. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. Thank you for each one that's come to this service tonight. Lord, come to hear from heaven. Now, Lord, I pray that each one would hear your voice. That, Spirit of God, you would take this word of God that we have just read and open our understanding to the realities of truth that connect to these remarkable words. And, Lord, I pray that you would show us the truth in a way that we become convinced of the absolute necessity of spirit dependence. I do plead the blood of Jesus once again to protect us from the attack of the evil one who certainly doesn't want us to get this tonight. And so, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you at the throne that we just read about. I claim your name that is above all names. And in your name, I exercise your authority 
over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder in this hour and this night and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord Jesus, may your victory be manifest. When you shouted, it is finished and won the victory over the world, flesh, and the devil. We thank you now for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1987, I sat as a candidate for ordination, and uh, my father, uh, my pastor, my father, had invited a number of the preachers of Chicago uh, to come and sit on my ordination council uh, to uh, a question to see whether or not they considered uh, whether or not I was sound in doctrine and sound in the faith, and if so, would recommend me to the church to then go on and ordain me. Well, since that time, I've sat on several ordination councils. I don't get to do that often because of what I do, but once in a while, it's worked out. And you know, in an ordination council, there are certain questions that just come up. Uh, they just do. Uh, I was in a, uh, uh, or on an ordination council in Spain one time. I had no idea what they were saying, but I was there. <laughs> uh, I didn't get to preach the sermon for the uh, ordination service. They did uh, translate for that. But in councils like this, there are certain questions that inevitably come up And one of those questions goes like this. A preacher will look at the candidate and say, would you please explain to us your understanding of the Bible term kenosis? And uh, the candidate, well trained in the original languages, (laughs) will say, oh yes, the Greek word kenosis means that Jesus emptied himself. And they all nod, well okay, you got that one right. And they go on to the next question. Now, often, what is not asked is, what does emptied himself mean? (laughs) Now, friends, you and I need to know the answer to that. This word kenosis was in the text tonight. We read the translation of it a moment ago. This idea of Jesus emptying himself. And it's right here in our text. And the answer to that question is vital because we're commanded in verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So what was that mind? What was the way of thinking, the paradigm of Jesus that caused him to empty himself? And what does that mean? And further, what does that mean to you and me tonight? A Monday night (laughs) in a Bible conference like we're in tonight in a series on the Holy Spirit. I mentioned a moment ago in verse 8, it says he humbled himself. So what are we talking about? Well, friends, tonight as we look at this, we're going to see that the mind of Jesus was spirit dependence. We'll see that in relationship to the Father. And as we see this, then obviously we must embrace this same mind. What are we talking about, this mind of Christ? What is this way of thinking, this paradigm of the necessity of spirit dependence? I want us to see, as we look at the mind of Christ tonight, uh, two major thoughts uh, that are a part of his humility, his mind, that reveal this necessity of spirit dependence. First of all, in the paradigm of Jesus, we could sum up his mind of humility with this phrase... Not I, but the Father. We're going to see that that idea is not I, but the Father through the ministry of the Spirit. 
If you look at the words of Jesus, in especially the Gospel of John, where there are the great discourses of Christ, this is a phrase that becomes very clear. We're going to see the thought of it in verses 6, 7, and 8 right here in our text. Now, when we take the phrase, not I, but the Father, there's two emphases. Obviously, the not I, and then, but the Father. Let's start with the not I. When Jesus said not I, there were at least two major criteria. First of all, he made it very clear in his humanity, not my will, but the Father's. In John 5, verse 30, Jesus said, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father. John 6, 38, I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And on and on and on throughout the book of John, all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus said... Not my will, but thine be done. Now, I suppose we're somewhat familiar with that because of the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, not my will. Okay, that's the first part. That's the first criteria of his not I. What's the second? This one I don't think we're as familiar with. In fact, for me, when it first arrested my attention, it was shocking. Not only did Jesus say, not my will, he essentially said, not my ability, but the Father's. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 5, 19. He said, the Son, S-O-N, referring to himself, can, that's the ability word, do nothing of himself. That's a shocking statement. What does he mean the son is not able to do anything of himself? How about John 5, same chapter, verse 30. In the first person, Jesus says, I can, there's your ability word, of or from mine own self, do nothing. So twice he said in the same chapter, I am not able from my own ability to do anything. This is what he said. (laughs) Now, wait a second. Jesus could get up in the morning. He could get dressed. He could eat breakfast. What's he talking about? He's talking about the spiritual arena. Because in the spiritual realm, spiritual ministry demands spiritual energy. And there was something that took place when Jesus became a man. There was something that occurred that is causing him to say, I am not able. Amazing. We see it in John 8, John 12, John 14. So not I. Now before we go on to the second emphasis of but the Father, we've got to stop and just chew on this. How could Jesus come to the place of saying... Not I, not my will, and especially not my ability, and not be lying. Well, this is where the word kenosis comes into play. It's fascinating. In the kenosis of Jesus, in the emptying of himself, there are two phases to it. First of all, as God... Jesus emptied himself. Let me use another phraseology. He set aside the reputation and exercise of deity in order to become a man. Look at verses 6 and 7. Who, referring to Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Okay, Jesus is God. He is deity. He was 
He is. When he came into our world, he was still deity. So what's happening here? Verse 7, but, and here's the phrase that translates that word kenosis, made himself of no reputation. Let's stop right there. You know, when Jesus came into our world, when he was born in a manger, in a very humbling setting, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and all that we read about in the Gospel of Luke, you know what? Obviously, he had set aside the reputation, the majesty, the glory of deity in order to come into the human race. Do you know that outside of a very few select group of people when Jesus was born, the rest of the population of planet Earth didn't know that was Almighty God. When he was laid in that manger, they did not know. You see, he had obviously set aside He had emptied himself of the reputation, the majesty, and the glory. He still was God, but he set aside the glory and the majesty and all the reputation of being God in order to become a man. But not only did he empty himself of that reputation, he emptied himself of the exercise of deity. Let me word it another way. He emptied himself of using the attributes of deity. Please don't misunderstand. He still was deity. He still possessed the attributes of deity. He never was at a moment where he didn't possess them. No, he was God. So he had to possess all the attributes of deity. He possessed them, but he set aside using the attributes of deity in order to become fully man. Now you've heard it. Okay, Jesus is all God and all man. This is how this could happen. He still possessed the attributes of deity, but he set aside using them. He had to in order to become fully man. Why? Because we don't have those attributes. And so that's how he could be fully God and fully man at the same time. The heart of it is this concept of kenosis. He emptied himself. He still was God. He still was deity. He possessed all these attributes, but he set aside the reputation and the use of those attributes in order to become fully man. That brings us to the second phase of this emptying of himself. As a man. This is where verse 8 comes into play. It's what it says. As a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Now, wait a second. Obedient means, obedience means that you exchange your will for the one you're obeying. So this is how he humbled himself. He set aside his own human will in exchange for the Father's will. He set aside his own human ability in exchange for divine ability. Since he had set aside using the attributes of deity, then now as a man, if all he did was rely on the strength of man, that couldn't cut it for what he was called to do. And so he set aside human will and human power in exchange for God's will and God's power. That's the whole point. He humbled himself and became obedient. That demands that he yielded to the will and power of 
another. And his obedience was in everything all the way unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, why is this important? When it comes to the first phase of this, as God, he set aside the reputation of deity and using the attributes of deity. We can't do that because we don't have the reputation of deity and nor do we possess those divine attributes. But as a man, this is the part that we must follow. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. As a man, when he set aside his own will, what we would call self-will, in exchange for the divine will, and he set aside his own ability, human ability, in exchange for divine ability, that's the part that we can follow and must. And so, that's the not I so that he can get to but the Father, and all of that is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not my will, but thine. You see, there's an exchange of human will for divine will. And the same thing with power. In John 8, 28, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father. So again, there's this exchange of human power for divine power, and all of that was through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You say, how do you know? Well, it starts with his conception. We're told that the angel told Mary uh, that the way this would take place, this virgin birth, is that the power of the highest would overshadow her so that, according to Matthew 1.20, that which would be conceived in her would be conceived from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was indwelt by the Spirit in his humanity at conception. Now, we're indwelt at salvation. (laughs) He was indwelt at conception. Then, of course, he was born. And we have 30 years that theologians call the silent years. And yet in those years, there are several texts that indicate that he was filled with the Spirit... In fact, as far back as Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, as a young uh, boy or young man, it says he was filled with wisdom and uh, 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 that there was great, and the grace of God was upon upon him. So as a young man, he was filled with wisdom and the grace or spirit enablement of God was upon him. Much more could be said. But obviously, Jesus in his childhood was filled with the Spirit. It's not just a theological conclusion. The text indicates it. It was by grace. There was spirit enablement. He was filled with the Spirit. But then when he entered his public ministry, it really gets very definite. You see, it's one thing to have for us, the Spirit enable us for us to live right. We call that holiness or victory. It's another thing to have the Spirit moving out of us and impacting those around us. That's what we would call effective ministry. And so at 30 years of age, when he's going to enter his public ministry, there's a need for a greater dimension of the Holy Spirit's work in his life. And so what happened? Well, he went to John the Baptist and he asked John the Baptist to baptize him. And most of us say, well, he just did that to set the example. Well, he certainly set the example, but there's more to it. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, it says, after he came out of the water, he was praying. That's an unusual time for a prayer meeting, don't you think? In fact, I've never seen it happen after a baptism that there was an immediate prayer meeting. But there was in Luke, chapter 3. 
when Jesus was baptized, as he came out, he was praying. Now, friends, that means there was something very important, urgent on his heart. Especially for the inspired text to insert that right then and let us know, as he came out of that water baptism, he was praying. Well, what was he praying for? Well, the prayer is not recorded, but the answer to the prayer was recorded. The very next verse says, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. I told you yesterday, uh, when John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but there comes one after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, water baptism pictures spirit baptism. And just as someone is immersed into that water, when you're saved, you're immersed into Christ and his spirit is placed into you. Okay, so here's Jesus. Was he just setting an example? There's more to it. You see, water baptism pictures spirit baptism. He's getting ready to enter his public ministry as a man. As one who has emptied himself, as one who has set aside using his own divine attributes that he still possessed, but he decided to set them aside. He's not going to use them. And so what's he going to do? He's got to have the power of God. And so as he gets water baptized, he comes out and he's praying for the reality of what water baptism pictures. He's praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he knew he needed it. And the very next event recorded is chapter 4, verse 1 of Luke. And Jesus, being full of the Spirit, was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. That's where he's tempted by Satan. That lets us know that his victory over the enemy was in direct connection to the power of the Holy Spirit. Then it says in Luke four fourteen that he returned in the power. That's the word that means ability. He returned in the power, the ability of the Spirit. Remember, he had set aside using his own divine attributes, his own inherent deity ability. He set aside using that. So now he's asked for that baptism, that power, that enabling of the Spirit. And it says that he now returned in the ability, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he taught so that his proclamation ministry, his preaching ministry, was through the ability of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. And then he went into the, uh, uh, the synagogue and they handed him the book of Isaiah. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach. And there are many other passages I will not take time to detail, but let me jump to the cross. In Hebrews 9.14, the scripture says, and he, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot unto God. Everything that he did when it comes to his purpose for coming into our world, he did as a man in dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's let this sink in because this is where it explodes if you'll let the Spirit of God explode it across your heart. Jesus said, not I, not my will, not my ability, but the Father's. Obviously, all of that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as we just noted. So when he says, not I, we would call that denying self. But the Father's, there's, but the Father, there's God dependence. And so we see this exchange of self-will for divine will, of self-dependence for divine dependence. 
That means that in the incarnation, when Jesus came into our world, into the human race to become our Savior, because of having taken on the limitations of humanity through kenosis, in other words, because he had set aside using divine attributes that he possessed, because he set aside using them, In other words, this is the whole point. Because of having taken on the limitations of humanity, that means that Jesus did what he did on earth, not as God, but as man in dependence upon God. Just like we're supposed to. It is the perfect example, literally perfect example of faith. Perfect example of God dependence. Perfect example of spirit dependence. My friends, let this sink in. That means his victory. His victorious life was not intrinsically because of his being deity. His victory was because as a man, he humbled himself and he obeyed the Father's will in dependence upon the Father's power so that he had the ministry of the Holy Spirit. His victory was by faith, just like ours is supposed to be. Amazing. He was utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit. Why? Because of kenosis. He had set aside using his own divine attributes that he possessed and therefore to live victoriously, and to have effective ministry, he depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. That's how he was victorious. You see, he obeyed. He became obedient. That's the Father's will. Trusting the Father's power. That's why, or that's how, the Scripture can say that Jesus was tempted in all points. Like as we... Yet without sin. You know what most of us do with that? Well, of course, he was tempted and he didn't sin. He's God. You missed it. He became a man. Yes, he was still fully God, but he had set aside using those divine attributes. Which means when he was tempted, he was tempted. And all points like his we. Now, he did not have... A corrupt flesh. So the temptation was external, like the first Adam. But he was tempted in all points like as we. In fact, if you look at the temptation uh, of Christ that's recorded, uh, it uh, parallels lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. But the point is, it wasn't because just intrinsically he was God. It's because as a man, he depended on God like we're supposed to. That's how he was victorious. Amazing. His victory was really by faith. Just like ours is supposed to be. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. It was his victory. It's ours as well. And so it's because he depended on the Spirit. We read often that Jesus got up early in the morning and prayed. Sometimes he prayed through the night. Now, friends, if he's functioning as God, all of that was fakery. The very fact that he prayed and he prayed and he prayed, 
shows his utter God dependence. That he was functioning as a man, like us, depending on the Father through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That means that prayer life of Jesus was real. (laughs) He had to depend. You see, years ago, God taught me that Jesus did what he did in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. But it was just a few years ago that I understood why. It's because of kenosis. It's because he had emptied himself and he wasn't using those divine attributes that he possessed. Therefore, he had to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the point is simply this. Since Jesus, in his humanity, because he had emptied himself, since he had, since it was necessary for him to depend on the Holy Spirit, it was the only way. Friends, if that was true for him, how much more true is it for us? And for us to think that we can live this Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit is utter arrogance. When Jesus himself lived in dependence moment by moment on the Spirit, how much more do we need to live the same way? You know, the Lord Jesus in his humanity valued the ministry of the Holy Spirit. May we do the same. So there's his mind. Not I, but the Father. Now think about this. In John chapter 17, Jesus made it very clear when he prayed on that high priestly prayer that he was in the Father and the Father was in him. And of course, that's through the Spirit, as we've already detailed through other passages. So he was in the Father and the Father was in him. So the statement is, not I, but the Father. But of course, he finished his work of the cross. He was exalted to the throne. On the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, he sent the Spirit. So now for us, we're in Christ. And Christ is in us. As he was in the Father and the Father in him through the Spirit, we are in Christ and Christ is in us through the same Spirit. So if his paradigm was not I but the Father, our paradigm should be not I but Christ. There it is. There's Galatians (laughs) 2.20. That's what we sang tonight. You see, there it is. Not I, but Christ lives in me. Dot, 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 end of the verse. By faith. See, there's that utter dependence upon God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So let's just chew on this as we wrap this up. That means for us, we need to say the same thing. Not I. (laughs) Not my will. Have we come to that? How many times do we get on our knees and say, God, I surrender all? And then get up and say, now God, here's the plan. (laughs) Would you bless it? (laughs) It's just so easy to do that. I mean, we come up with all sorts of plans without first saying, God, what's your plan? Just reading the other day an interview that a man had with George Mueller when Mueller was in his 80s. And Mueller made this statement that, He said, you have to find out before you could really pray a prayer and have any real power to it or meaning to it, you had to find out if it was agreeable to the mind of God. Well, that's the same thing. Not my will, but but yours. Is this agreeable to his mind? Is this his will? Now, friends, have we come to this? Have we really come to, God, your will? 
That's what I want. Now, it doesn't mean that we're will-less. We have to exercise our will to set our desire aside and embrace his. But that's the point. It's just what he did in his humanity. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but the Father's. And so the same idea for us. Not I. Not my will. And then, of course, not my ability. Now, that one should be easy for us, but we're just arrogant enough to think that we have enough power. I mean, I did for years. I'm certified in about every soul winning course there is out there. Seriously. Because <laughs> I want to be used of God in soul winning. <laughs> and in the early years of my ministry, I'm talking full-time ministry. I mean, times when I was an assistant pastor and I had two, two different trainees, three hours with this one, three hours with that one, six hours a week at least minimum. I mean, I'm, we're doing it. And very little is happening, like <laughs> incredibly little. Because, as I mentioned yesterday, I was very self-dependent. I knew we needed the power of God, but I didn't know what it was. I certainly didn't know how to get there and whatever. So, hey, let's just go through the motions and maybe, maybe it'll be there. <laughs> well, it wasn't <laughs> most of the time. Because uh, until you get desperate and actually depend on him, then you miss out on his power. You know, Jesus said, I'm not able. That's why he says in John 15, without me, ye can do same words almost. You can. There's the ability word. Do nothing. Remember he said, I can do nothing of mine own self, John 5. And so John 15, without me, ye can. Able. You're the, able, the ability word. You can do nothing. That's what God shook me with in 1993. Now, it's easy to still go back to self-dependence. <laughs> but that was a great awakening to realize, wait a second. I can't do this. In other words, I can go through motions. I can memorize this program. This pro- I, mean, I, I mean, I can name the programs. I, I memorized them all. But if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, you just bounce off the wall. And I'd bounce off that wall. And I'd, get my, I'd get up and dust myself off, you know. And I'd... I'd I jump again, bounce off the wall. You know, some of us have, you know, hard heads and rubber necks. I just keep bouncing off the wall. And, you know, I was five years an assistant pastor to my father in Chicago. And some people made decisions, and I hope some of those I'll see in heaven. But I didn't have one person saved, baptized, discipled, assimilated, going on for God. Not one. Not one! After hours and hours and hours and hours and hours at this thing. Then when God began to open my eyes, the gospel didn't change. The words are still the words of good news. What changed was the power of the Spirit. And friends, all of a sudden people began to get saved and, and get baptized and, and get discipled and began to grow and, and, and became useful. And I could tell you stories. Now friends, I've failed who knows how many times. But I'm going to tell you something. When you depend on the Holy Spirit, He doesn't fail. It changes everything. And I've watched over the years people that have never led a soul to Christ and now they tap into the Holy Spirit and they do. And people have been extremely ineffective and now extremely effective. And in many cases, it's overnight. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is already powerful. You tap into him, he works. Wow. What a change. Now, friends, if we don't get this, then it's self-will 
and self-dependence. And that's the flesh life. And either it manifests itself in flesh dependence as we try to do right, religious flesh, or flesh indulgence as we just kind of cave in and there's irreligious flesh. The works of the flesh. We saw them last night. Galatians 5, the moral sins, the social sins, relationship sins, and so forth. And there's corruption and all of that stuff. That's the works of the flesh. But when we depend on our own strength to do right, that's the work of the flesh. It's still flesh. Satan's still pleased. He doesn't give a rip which end of the flesh you go to, whether it's the religious side of the flesh or the irreligious side. As long as it's flesh, he's happy. And it's not until we get to not my will and not my ability. Now we can go to God for his ability to obey his will. We can trust his power and obey his will. Trust and obey. Take and act. We saw those words last night. That's what Jesus did. We can do and must do the same. Now, in 1993, God awakened me to the problem of the flesh. I thought that was it, man. I thought the whole thing was taken care of. <laughs> oh, man, you know, uh, there's a lot more flesh there than I realized. You know, some of us, some of us are like an onion. <laughs> there's a lot of layers. And the deeper you go, the more it smarts. In some of the more recent years, 93, this is 2018. Some of the more recent years as God peels back those layers of self and those layers of arrogance and those layers of human ability. It's hurt. But it's necessary. So that it can really be not my will. I want what you want, God. Not my ability. That won't cut it all. I can do is fake the form. I need your ability. That's that carrying power. Where the same words and the same motions now have the power of God. Where that eternal life of Christ in you is now accessed as the abundant life of Christ through you. And God brings eternity into the courts of time as you walk by faith and access the eternal one. That's the spirit for life. So not I. We must deny self-will, self-power for us. That often includes a fair amount of confession, too. That's the part that differs from Christ. But it must be so we can get to not I, but Christ. So that we actually exchange the will of the flesh for the will of the Spirit. And we exchange the power of the flesh for the power of the Spirit. And so look at the end of verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking about your ability. <laughs> Christ didn't even depend on his ability. Verse 13 clarifies it. For it is God which worketh in you. There's divine initiation. Both to will. Ah. So that now you're lined up with his will. And to do. So that now you're lined up with his power. There it is. Of his good pleasure. What a verse. That was a key verse in my own journey. It is God that works in you so that you get to his will and trust his power, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And do you know when you exchange your will for his and your power for his, that's humility. My father used to say 
that humility was honesty. And I'd scratch my head and say, okay, what's he talking about? See, it's honesty about the inadequacy of our will, because we mess things up, and our power, because we don't have enough strength. So it's honesty about the inadequacy of our own will and power and the adequacy, the sufficiency of God's will and power so that we depend on him. So humility is saying, God, I can't. That's honesty. But you can. That's faith. Honesty that leads to faith. That is biblical humility. That's actually what Jesus did when he said, I am not able, and therefore he trusted the Father through the Spirit. That honesty led to dependence. There it is. That's true humility. Honesty regarding the inadequacy of our own will and power so that we depend on God's will and power, which of necessity God blesses. It's that honesty and trust. I can't, but he can. Now, friends, Christ's humility was not that he went around and did and performed menial tasks. That's often a view that I hear espoused by many. Now, don't get me wrong. He did a menial task. He washed the disciples' feet. It doesn't get more menial than that. He did that once. Often we think of servant leadership as going around and doing menial tasks. We miss it. His leadership was his service. So his humility was not that he did menial tasks. Now, don't get me wrong. We all have to do menial tasks. You may have noticed there's a fifth wheel trailer sitting out in your parking lot. You know, once this meeting is over, the first thing I have to do is head to a dump site. You say, what are you talking about? I'll tell you later. (laughs) But it's a menial task, let me tell you. When all of us have to do those things. But that's not the essence of humility. It wasn't for Christ. It's not for us. His humility was not that he went around doing menial tasks, though he was not above that. His humility is that he did the Father's will in dependence on the Father's power through the ministry of the Spirit. Friends, our humility is that we do his will by his power through the same ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when you thus humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he exalts you. Why? Because when it's not your will but his, he can exalt his will. When it's not your ability but his, well, he can exalt his ability. You see, when it's not I but Christ, the Father honors the Son and we get to piggyback. As we humble ourselves so that it's not our will but His and not our ability but His, then humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Why? Because that's the life of Jesus that He honors and we get to piggyback on Him. That is amazing. And friends... This example of Christ reveals the necessity of spirit dependence, I think, in a way greater than any other way in the New Testament. Because this is Jesus as a man. Friends, we're human beings. This is our hope. 
You know, every time we depend on his power to do his will, he never fails. Ever. Now, when we get self-will mixed in the thing, you know, sometimes we go to, you know, we go to him for his power, but it's for our will. That's going to mess it up. Or we say, God, I surrender your will, and I'm going to do it. Uh, we just messed it up because we can't. Back to self-power. But when you get God's power connected with God's will, things begin to happen. That's the necessity of spirit dependence. Seen through the mind of Christ. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind of spirit dependence. Let's bow our heads for prayer.